athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. I think very deeply. In about four seconds, a teacher will begin to speak. I think very deeply. Thank you for joining me on the program. Listen, a whole lot to get to on today's program. The NBA trade deadline has come and gone. If we have some time, we'll talk NBA on today's program. Joining us today on the program, Las Vegas Raiders offensive tackle, Brandon Parker. Brandon Parker going to join us today on the program. What a season for the Raiders. A lot of ups and downs. And Brandon Parker is going to talk with us about it. He also played his collegiate football at North Carolina A&T. And so we're going to talk with Brandon Parker on today's program. We'll talk some big game matchup. Los Angeles, the Rams playing at home, taking on the Bengals. This is a very hard game to call. I got to be honest with you because they're – for me, there's one variable. Like, I want to go with the Bengals. And I'm not saying that I'm not. I'm just telling you, if this one variable weren't at all a variable, right, then I would most likely be going with the Bengals. The offensive line of the Bengals concerns me. How do you block Aaron Donald? Now, I think with the Bengals, That extra week, I think, will enable Cincinnati to have come up with a scheme to be able to block that front four because you've got Von Miller also on one side. And Von Miller's good. I mean, do you double-team Von Miller? At this stage in his career, I'm not sure. But he is still going to be able to make some plays even if he has a one-on-one matchup. We've seen that happen in the playoffs. But he's not. it's not the Von Miller from five years ago. But Aaron Donald is just a beast. So I've got some thoughts on the big game matchup as well. Further NFL talk. So we've had a couple of hires. The um, Saints have stuck with uh, their, well, I shouldn't say stuck with, but defensive coordinator Dennis Allen is this, the Saints head coach. He was the defensive coordinator, and he's the now the Saints uh, head coach. And also, the Jaguars have gone with Doug Peterson, former head coach of the Eagles, led the Eagles to the Super Bowl uh, several years ago. Uh, Now the head coach of the Jaguars. Also, in a bit of a surprise move, I think the Texans hire Lovey Smith as their new head coach, leaving only two vacancies open, the Vikings and the Dolphins. Interesting hire, I must say. And again, we're going to keep this at the forefront because the big game is going to take away from some of the headlines 
the season will be over. We won't talk about it, but we're going to keep the Brian Flores situation, his lawsuit against the National Football League for discrimination and racism at the forefront. Uh, we don't want to forget about that because he's got some valid points. Now, you can look at the Lovey Smith hire, okay, because that was out of nowhere. And by the way, even before I talk about the Lovey Smith hire, it goes to show, and this is something that I will continue to say and have said many times on this program. Please do not compare the National Football League to college football. Remember, and I had forgotten this, that Lovey Smith was the head coach of the Buccaneers for two years. I'd forgotten about that. Went on to become the head coach in College of Illinois. Didn't have a lot of success there, right? But it doesn't matter. He had success in the National Football League. Did, I mean, I guess a decent job as the defensive coordinator for the Texans. I mean, what more could you ask? The Texans just had a bad roster and now becomes the head head football coach, the head coach. Now, you could look at some different variables. Maybe they hired him because of the whole Cully situation. You can look at it from that vantage point. So people can't say, well, you fired the black coach, put him in a bad position, right? And then the Texans can counter, well, we just didn't like Cully. We've hired Lovey Smith, a black coach, okay? So you can look at it from that vantage point. I still think, I mean, Brian Flores has got, I mean, he's he's spot on. No excuse why Brian Flores is not a head coach. So, Lovey Smith, it's an interesting hire to me that comes really out of nowhere, okay? Um, you know, is it a one-year thing for Lovey Smith? You know, what are the parameters behind the hiring of Smith? Of course, I think for him, it's a it's a good move for him even if it's a bad situation, because all coaches that need a second opportunity, right, feel like they can turn a franchise around. And so I'm sure that's what Lovey Smith is thinking. I mean, to be honest with you, the Texans, as bad as the roster was, were in a lot of ball games and managed to win, I believe it was four football games, that the Texans won on last year. So I think that's an interesting hire. Let me let me move to the the hiring of Dennis Allen. I think I think that's interesting. I think if you look at the Saints, and again, let, let me be clear. Any team can hire any candidate that that team feels is the right candidate for it. This should not be about race. It should not be about black and white. Unfortunately, because of the history of the National Football League, the past history, the recent history, and the present history, if you will, it does become an issue. Dennis Allen, I mean, I think it's a good fit, right? Because the culture's there. Dennis Allen has been with the Saints for quite some time. So you move to a coach that knows the culture. You've got a really good roster. And by the way, that defense is really, really good. The defense is really, really good. Like the defense was the one that mostly carried the Saints this year. So that's a good, I think that's a good move. But if I want to look at wins and losses as a head coach, Dennis Allen's record as a head coach 
is 8 and 28. 8 and 28. 4 and 12 in 2012. 4 and 12 in 2013. 0 and 4 in 2014. Now, if I take it back, going back to the late 80s, early 90s, and I'm looking at the Raiders, and I'm looking at Art Shell, <laughs> Art Shell had a much better record than this and still ultimately got fired. But this isn't about Art Shell, but I'm just pointing that out. This man gets another opportunity with an 8-28 and record, yet you still got Todd Bowles out there who had at least one winning. I think he was there with the Jets for three years, had a winning season. You look at Leslie Frazier, who was still out there, who, who at least one season, I think he had three or four seasons, one of those seasons led, and, and remember, one of those seasons, Adrian Peterson was hurt most of this season. So that wasn't a very good team. Then he's the head coach when the Vikings ultimately w- uh, make it to the playoffs. I think that season the Vikings were 12-4. and four. Yet, and by the way, s- specifically to Leslie Frazier, Leslie Frazier is a, is a guy who should have gotten an opportunity long ago. She got an opportunity a long time ago, right? So he didn't even get that opportunity that he should have gotten a while back, even before he got the Vikings job. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, did he have a losing record? Yeah, but so did Dennis Allen. So did North Turner. So did a lot of these white coaches that get second and third opportunities, yet the black coaches, most notably, right, as we're talking about, Leslie Frazier, right, ultimately, Todd Bowles, have not gotten that second opportunity. And by the way, we're down to just two NFL coaching vacancies. And again, I will say this. We're not saying this enough. Even though, as I just said, and I always say, college and the National Football League, college football and the National Football League are two different things. Ultimately, you, we've seen where a lot of former college head football coaches ultimately become head coaches in the National Football League. You can look at Matt Rule with the Carolina Panthers. It just comes off the, you know, just off the top of, really off the top of my head. So you can look at, you know, a Matt Rule um, situation and know that that's the case. Cliff Kingsbury is another, right? I, I, that's who was. his his name was escaping me, Cliff Kingsbury of the Cardinals, right? Head coaches at the college level get head coaches at the National Football League level. Again, there's a lack of black coaches at the collegiate level, especially on the FBS level, which can help to get you. Now, you may not go from being a head coach in college to a head coach in the NFL, although these two gentlemen that I just mentioned did, but maybe you do well, then you get on maybe as an, a coordinator or some kind of assistant coach in the National Football League, and then it leads to a head coaching job in the NFL. Jim Caldwell is a rare exception. Who's in Jim Caldwell, black, by the way, if you didn't know that. Wake Forest head coach, and then ultimately goes on to be um, the head coach of the Colts and the Lions. He should get another opportunity as well. So it's interesting, and it needs to be kept in the forefront that this is an issue. It continues to be an issue. And if we don't continue to talk about it, it's going to continue to be 
an issue. Still to come here on Box to Row, my thoughts on the big game. Also, I'm talking HBCU recruiting. I'm going to give you my thoughts on the FCS recruiting classes, so you don't want to miss that. Up next here on the program, we're going to be joined by Raiders offensive tackle Brandon Parker. All you've got to do now is... And you can do it via Twitter at Box to Roll. We'll be back. Cause some don't agree with how I do this. I get straight and meditate like a Buddhist. I'm dropping flavor, my behavior is hereditary. But my technique is very necessary. Blame it on Ice Cube because it's said it get funky. Hello, my name is Precious Rose Dunlap, and this is my mother, Michelle Timberlake Rowe, founder of Marjorie's Beef Jerky Incorporated. We would at this time like to thank our new customers as well as our repeating customers for your business. For every one million orders that we receive, our company is giving two million dollars away to the bottom amongst four hundred of our paid customers. You see, that's the way we roll. So come place an order at www.marjoriesbeefjerky.com. That's www.marjoriesbeefjerky.com. Marjorie's beef jerky is the best tasting beef jerky on this planet. Marjorie's beef jerky. Yeah, that's right, because that's the way we roll. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way. Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whitbeer, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Served in total wine all over North Carolina. Fresh market in North Carolina and Virginia. Weaver Street Market in Raleigh, Durham, Carborough, and Hillsboro. You can also purchase in Durham at Zwelly's, Saltbox, Sam's Bottle Shop, and Bull McCabe's, and in Greensboro at Elm Street Lounge and Cooper's Ale House. Box to Road. Box to Road.com is the website for all of your HBCU sports needs. From the game of the week feature to interviews to the latest news in the world of HBCU sports. Box to Road.com has you covered. Ooh. Missed a week of From the Press Box to Press Row? Box to Road.com has all the archive shows. Don't forget to check out the All American teams and weekly media coaches polls. From the Press Box to Press Row. And Box to Row.com. Your HBCU sports leader. The others pretend you're listening to the show that brings you up close and personal. Up close and personal. With the biggest names in sports and entertainment. Here's the man to bring it to you, Donald Ware. Famous, I write this alone in Vegas. Camouflage street money, party nights with the A-list. I write this alone in Vegas. Brandon Parker is in his fourth season in the National Football League, all with the now Las Vegas Raiders. As a matter of fact, a former third-round selection out of North Carolina, A&T offensive tackle as he joins us here on Box to Row. What's going on, Brandon? Welcome back to the program. Uh, what's going on, man? Glad to be back, brother. Glad to be back. Absolutely. Man, what a season. Like, this has been... I don't know if you've ever experienced a season of 
football in all of your career like this season that the Raiders had. Just your thoughts on the overall season. Uh, man, all I can say is perseverance, bro. And perseverance and God's grace. That's the reason we're all standing here and finished. That's all I can say. <laughs> yeah, and but you guys ultimately end up making the playoffs. I mean, that, uh, you know, that in of itself uh, was an accomplishment considering all the things that happened during the season. Yeah, that, I mean, you, you know, it's just which is why you got to give credit to everybody that had a part, man. I know we all, like you said, unfortunately, did with all that stuff, but we all just had that mentality to keep going, and it worked out. Yeah, no question about it, man. I mean, take us sort of through um, that playoff game. I mean, a really, really good game. Ultimately, you came on uh, on the wrong side of uh, of the stick or the short side of the stick on that, but I mean, it it ultimately came down to the last offensive possession for the Raiders. Yeah, it was uh, it was a nail-biter, bro. Um, you know, uh, came out the game a little slow, but as you know, uh, games are won in the second half, and plus what playoff football is all about with all these, you know, close margin of victory games that's happened. So we thought we could, uh, you know, have a two-minute drive to kind of <laughs> propel us into glory and give us the overtime chance and hopefully come out victorious, man, but – you know, we got to get credit to the Bengals. They're obviously a Super Bowl team. They're good. They stopped us, and, you know, we just didn't execute enough. Your thoughts on the whole – what were you thinking, the whole John Gruden situation with him ultimately being fired with those emails uh, coming out? What were your thoughts on that? It was unfortunate, man. Um, you know, we're in the era – I know this came out quite a bit ago, but we're also in, you know, the cancel culture that's today, and we're also in an era where you can't just go around saying those things, man, and – um, it's kind of one of those, you know, or if you're going to say it, at least don't put it on paper. Like he was kind of <laughs> not smart enough to do, <laughs> to know. So, uh, you know, I hate that happened because he was a good coach and a good guy, but it's one of those hard lessons to learn, man. It cost him his job. Brandon Parker in his fourth season as the, uh, or one of the offensive tackles for the Las Vegas Raiders as he joins us here on Box to Row. And, and to the point, I mean, you know, John Gruden, Mike Mayotte, and who's no longer there, uh, either, but I mean, those guys, I mean, and John Gruden in particular, ultimately drafted you, wanted you as part of this team. That doesn't happen. You know, a third round tackle out of a small college, particularly in HBCU, that doesn't happen every day. So I know that had to be, you know, maybe from a personal standpoint, you know, hit you a little bit harder. Uh, it does, man. It's just the, the simple fact that they're willing to take a chance on me and Obviously, they do their research with the scouting department and knew, knew my background. They like my film clearly enough to draft me. But it still is a testament to them and the faith they had in me to even, you know, take a chance in me because I had some growing pains to go through, had some development to do. But I think I'm starting to play like a complete tackle. And just for them to see the vision and have the faith to stick with me, you know, through all four years is, you know, a testament to them. So they're always going to be fans of my book, man. And I'm always going to have their back because they, they took a chance, but they didn't have to. And I appreciate them for that. You know, I'm not saying if you if you did or you didn't, but do you feel like even under Gruden, um, because you mentioned, I mean, you had some struggles, and we talked about that uh, a little bit with you last year, but ultimately, I mean, you came on at the end of, of last season. You came on at the end of this season. I don't remember how many of the last games you started. I would say it was at least six or seven of the last games uh, of the season, including the playoff game. You feel like, uh, at least under Gruden, ultimately you got a fair shake. Uh, I would say so, yeah. I um you know, uh 
obviously didn't play every NFL player wants to play every game that's every snap possible, but you know, my play wasn't consistent enough to kind of warrant me that position. So you had veterans like Sam Young and Trent Brown who were able to kind of carry the weight while giving me the time to develop and then um, you know, when they were weren't able to go or when the staff felt like I was ready to go or you know, I deserved the opportunity and I, you know, try to step up and perform and that's all you can ask for in this business is a chance. And I had multiple chances, so that's all I can ask for. Sure. How were things were things different how much different, I should say, were things under interim head coach Rich Basaccia? Um, not a whole lot different. You know, he he's been under group system for what, four years, the same time I've been under it. So kinda had that same philosophy, same mentality and, you know, the offense was the same pretty much. The defense was, you know, a little different with Gus, but you know, a lot of the same guys were already in place. So all he had to do was step step in and kind of spearhead us and keep us going in the right direction. So kind of like a co-pilot taking over a big flight. You know, it's already on a destination, but he just needs somebody to commandeer it to get where it's going. That the voice of Brandon Parker, offensive tackle for the Las Vegas Raiders, as he joins us here on the program. Ultimately, the Raiders now have a new head coach in Josh McDaniels. Um, but, I mean, for you, what, what's next for you? I mean, that that's the Raiders' situation. You're an unrestricted free agent this year. So, yeah. what, I mean, is your intent, do you ultimately want to come back to the Raiders? What, what does your future sort of look like? Um, it's unknown right now, man. I, You know, I, I would love to be a Raider for life, man. That's, you know, that silver and black is different, man. And, you know, through the love of all the hate, I've, I felt welcome here. It's kind of home to me. So, you know, if I do have to leave another team, it's going to be a little awkward. And, you know, it's like leaving your first <laughs> your first child, in a sense, you know, it's, uh, or your first home, I guess. You just, you know, they're, they're going to have a special place in my heart. But I also know how the business works. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, I feel like I played good enough to get a, another chance somewhere else. So wherever I'm blessed to go to the next place, I'm going to give them my all and try to be the best way I can be there. How have you grown in now four years in the National Football League, specifically with the Raiders? Um, definitely have this year for sure. Learn how to persevere, but just even through those years before, you know, like you have a good game, you have a bad game, and you might get benched because of that bad game. But I've just learned to kind of steady the course and keep my head down at work, man. Just you know, really kind of truly learning the value of hard work, man. And anything you don't like, you can fix it in this league. You can correct your mistakes. You can find your imperfections and continue to build them up to where they become your strong point. So it's just really learn how to work through just about anything. No doubt about it. So your thoughts on the upcoming matchup in the big game between the Bengals and the Rams? Um, it's kind of like the old underdog versus the giant story you hear about, man. It's no secret. Nobody predicted Cincinnati to be in the Super Bowl, but now that they're here, it's kind of hard to not root for those guys. You know, they, they play hard. They're young. There's not a whole lot of superstars. They just go out and play and, Play to the whistle, you know, is blown, man. So you got to root for those guys. And the Rams, obviously, the superstars with loaded talent everywhere. Um, you know, generational talent. Even future Hall of Famers all through that team. That team. So it's, uh, you know, they're obviously the, the favorite here. But, man, I, I'm rooting for the underdog. I got to go for the Bengals. <laughs> yeah. No, nah, no question about that. So, and, of course, we're joined by Brandon Parker here on the program for you, what do you remember, man? You're you're an A and T North Carolina A and T guy. What do you remember most about those days at A and T? Man, just the just the fellowship and the family, bro. Like it's, you know, I know everywhere tries to say that whole family deal with you know the BCS schools and the Power Fives and stuff, but it's more like a competition there. But with A and T, it's a family. You got 
a bunch of brothers who are all working towards the same goal. I mean, you, you struggle together, you know, from having two or three items to kind of make it through the year with conditional wise or those hard summers with walk on, just find a way to come together and break through it and lean on each other, man. And especially that last undefeated season where you finally kind of seen the work pay off and what kind of can happen if everything is done right, man, that's, I'm never going to forget that. Yeah. This, the, a lot of HBCU players now, in the national football, well, there there have been, but I mean, I think we're seeing more that are sort of excelling at the top, guys that are getting drafted at higher rounds, more like yourself. Although, I mean, I would say the last couple of drafts have been poultry uh, in terms of drafts, but in terms of players, we got some really good players, man. Sort of your thoughts uh, on that and how HBCU players continue to rise in the National Football League. Uh, well, just, you know, credit to the guys before us, man. There's been, you know, a stud in every class that's kind of either got drafted or, you know, garnered high attention from scouts to kind of bring more attention to HBCU. So now we have several guys who are in the league from HBCUs who are playing at really elite levels that are kind of forcing, you know, the scouts to pay more attention to us because it's clear to say that, you know, we can play with these guys. It's, you know, if you're talented, they'll find you. And that was kind of what they told me going to A&T with and the aspirations that, you know, don't worry about where you're going because if you're good, they'll find you. And I promise you, you'll get your opportunity to play as long as you stay the course and just be dominant. So it's good to finally see HBCUs getting the recognition they need. No doubt. So you got to tell us the story. I mean, I know you've told it before. We got to tell us the story. 2017, uh, North Carolina Central, the opponent. Uh, but you did something prior to that football game. Tell us about it. Oh, yeah. So my, my sweetheart that's still with me today, bless her heart, uh, is uh, <laughs> I decided <laughs> to propose to her before the game. And, um, you know, I, I got my coach's permission about, i say, a month in advance. I made sure I was back, you know, the back lineup senior night just to make sure I don't steal any sign from my teammates because obviously they've worked hard and to get to the point where they are and, you know, got down on one knee and fumbled. <laughs> she said yes, allegedly. She uh, she froze. So, but it was kind of one of those head nods that <laughs> uh, – <laughs> confirmed it so uh, and then we jumped the ring but you know eventually everything worked out so we have a beautiful daughter and you know we're blessed beyond measure so it, it worked out look man whatever your next team is they may not you know you may not be an eligible receiver if you're dropping the ring man how are you gonna catch the football brandon uh, i ask myself that all the time <laughs> <laughs> very good man well look we appreciate it brandon parker of course offensive tackle the last four years is been spent with the Raiders. He is an unrestricted free agent. As a matter of fact, former North Carolina A&T All-American joins us here on Box to Row. Brandon, always great to catch up with you, man. Continued success in all you do. Appreciate you, boss. Thanks for having me, man. And shout out to the Box to Row team. I appreciate y'all. We appreciate you, Brandon, and appreciate you giving us some time here on Box to Row. React to anything that Brandon Parker had to say Hit us up via Twitter at BoxToRow, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. A mature young man took the responsibility upon himself to say, hey, there were times that I didn't play well, and when I did not play well, third-round draft pick out of a small school or not, I didn't deserve to play until I ultimately got it right. So it'll be interesting to see what the Raiders do with Josh McDaniels now as the head coach, whether Brandon Parker re-signs with the Raiders or ultimately moves on. Up next here on Box to Row, I'm talking 
some HBCU FCS recruiting. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. That is the voice of Steph Curry. Your progress from Davidson to now with Golden State. Where I've come from in high school into a small D1 college at Davidson. Uh, it's a great story, and uh, I'm just having fun you know, living my dream and riding the ride. That, of course, the voice of Bianca Belair. EST is in the building. And that's what Sasha Banks and I are going to do. We're going to uh, WrestleMania. We're going to create history. We're going to be the first two black females to have a title match at WrestleMania. I always say representation is it's not a request. It's a requirement, and I'm going to, to try to become SmackDown Miss Champion. But it's more than just creating a moment and becoming a champion. Just by us standing in the ring, we are representation for women and for Black women. And so that's an amazing feeling to be able to be that, be that person and be on that platform and the greatest stage of them all. And, and be able to create history. It's just, it's an honor. That is the voice of Kevin Durant. I'm excited I get to play for him. They support us in everything we do. You know, it's a joy to, you know, go to work and, and know that you're going to be, uh, you know, they're going to cheer for you as loud as they can, no matter who you're playing. I'm talking about none other than Serena Williams. That was definitely one of the better matches I've ever played. I've had it just like that. You know, it's really focused. It's really, you know, excited. Rob Manfred is the commissioner of Major League Baseball. Players that have been accused in their career of using performance-enhancing drugs, should they be in the Baseball Hall of Fame? I'm going to focus on one word in your question, okay? Accused. Players who have tested positive or there's otherwise been real solid proof that they were involved with performance-enhancing drugs, I think that Hall of Fame writers are entitled to make their own judgment about those players as to whether they think that performance-enhancing drugs or their use of performance-enhancing drugs should prevent them from being in the Hall of Fame. You cannot determine who used performance-enhancing drugs by the way a player looks. It's simply not possible. The one and only Michael Strahan. Always good to talk to you. Hopefully next time it won't be, what, 14 years you get to it. <laughs> Man, you know what it's good? And, and, and uh, you're encouraging people to be better and do better. And, and that's what I love, man. So thank you. I appreciate you. I'm talking about none other than Common. Well, I ended up in FAM just because I wanted to major in business. And FAM, you had the illustrious school of business. Then I found out that business was the key. That's what I wanted to do. NBA All-Star Chris Paul. That was great to bring it back to Winston-Salem State University, a black college. Something that my city had never seen before, may never see again. And just having a up-close and personal feeling with LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Melodes. It was exciting. I'm grateful for those guys coming out. He is Stephen A. Smith. Congratulations on all the things y'all have done. Congratulations. Keep up the hard work. Went to Salem State. I had an absolute ball. The only part that was bad uh, was the basketball because my first year there, I cracked my kneecap in half. If I had one thing that I could do over, it would be that I would be there 100% healthy so I could really showcase what I could do. But outside of that, there's absolutely nothing that I would have changed. It was the greatest years of my life. Simone Biles. I guess I just go in there with a positive, open mind of just doing what we do in training and going out there and doing the best that we can do and just have fun with it. I didn't really think of the outcome, but I knew that we had been training hard and we were re- we were just ready. Greatest football player to ever play, Jim Brown. Muhammad Ali was a principal person in the country at the time, and he stood up and said that he was not going to the service because it was against his religion. Called all the top black athletes together, along with Carl Stoke, the first black mayor of a major city. So. 
I'm glad you brought that particular incident up. Snoop Dogg is on the mic. Pay attention. Oh, man, thank you for having me play in a real way. I mean, I'm so honored. Snoop, you football league has done so many wonders. We got over 200 kids that have graduated from high school. We have over 50 kids that have going to Division One. Kyrie Irving. Playing a dude for Coach K. What was that like and how that prepared you for the league now? Playing 11 games, you know, a lot of people think that's not a you know, big package for you to become a better player, but for me it was. Playing for Coach K, he gave me the keys to, to the car and I was driving it in first eight games and you know, being a part of something special like that and having a brotherhood built at an institution such as that one is an experience that you never forget. Ice Cube has been our guest. Hey man, thanks for letting me talk a little music, movies, and sports. Hey, my favorite three topics. Hey everybody, what's going on? This is Anthony Anderson, international movie star and funny mother. <laughs> and you're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. From the Press Box to Press Row is the sports talk show that is the voice and the talk of HBCU sports with a player for pro sports talk and entertainment. Check the show out online at www.boxtorow.com. That's from the press box to press row. Real relevant radio. It's time to talk recruiting here on box to row and what we've done for the last 15 years or so is ranked the top 10 FCS HBCU recruiting classes. We'll eventually do that. We're going to do a little bit something different today with the recruiting classes. I'm going to go over each program. There are 21 FCS HBCU schools, and I'll talk a little bit about what each had in terms of recruiting. As a whole, in terms of HBCU recruiting, what I saw a lot of this year was a lot of of schools went to the transfer portal more specifically for FBS players. So that tells me one of two things tells me that teams, well, it tells me that teams are trying to win now. That's what it tells me across the board. But a couple of other things that it tells me as well is either not only trying to win now, but perhaps you're desperate, don't have a lot uh, to go on and you, you, you want to establish now that, One of the things about the transfer portal uh, is that you're getting guys, particularly if you're going after FBS guys, you're getting guys that have played high-level football. uh, And and in a lot of cases, you're getting guys that have at least two years of eligibility in, in, I would say, um, about eh, probably about 75% of the cases. You're getting guys that have at least two years of eligibility. So that's sort of a good thing. Um, I think the other thing and and the more notable thing with the recruitment of of guys or players out of the transfer portal or FBS players, and, you know, there there are some JUCO recruits, which that's traditionally been what you've seen. It's been high school kids, JUCO recruits, and then you'll look at a couple of FBS players sprinkled in as opposed to many but a lot of these schools have the dominant recruits are former FBS players but I think the COVID-19 has really changed a lot of the way recruiting is done it has changed a whole lot to the point that think about it when you had that 2020 recruiting class and you look across the board in terms of HBCUs none of the division one HBCUs played in 2020. None. Now, you did have, of course, the SWAC, Les Oldcorn State, 
and, and that played in 2021 in the spring. Also, Tennessee State played. Nobody else played. So that was a foundation that was already laid. And by the way, all of those guys got that year of eligibility back. So now you're talking about guys that are going to be five years at least in your program. That doesn't even count a potential redshirt year. And so a lot of those foundations were laid in that respective recruiting class from 2020. Thus, you're able to kind of plug and play and bring in a lot of guys that already have college experience. So COVID-19 definitely has changed the recruiting landscape, certainly uh, from that perspective. Going to do this in alphabetical order. We'll start with Alabama A&M. And to the point that I just made about laying the foundation, so Connell Maynard and his staff had just two high school signees, okay, just two uh, out of, I think they had like 26 signees. So everybody else uh, was a transfer. And you look at some of the guys, and but the two signees that were high school kids, Ramir Lewis is a 6'7", 340-pound offensive lineman out of Belleville High School in Michigan. Three-star kid had offers from Florida, Kansas, Kentucky, Iowa State, Memphis, Michigan, and Mississippi. So he's potentially a guy that can come in and help you right away. Avion Rice is a safety out of Fort Myers in Florida. He was a three-star recruit, offers from Louisville, Marshall, Maryland, West Virginia, and Miami. So that, that was good couple of guys that can help lay your foundation moving forward. And by the way, as part of this recruiting class, they were able to get Jaron Williams, the quarterback from the University of South Florida. So that that's going to help. I mean, you got to be able to replace quarterback Aquil Glass, who may, as a matter of fact, be drafted. So uh, that, that in and of itself was a good pickup. Taking a look at Alabama State, Eddie Robinson Jr.'s first Recruiting class, he signed 26 recruits. 18 of those players are high school players. So you can see Alabama State in Eddie Robinson Jr.'s first year trying to lay that foundation moving forward. He's got a three-star running back in Jalen Sutton, uh, who is from Mobile, Alabama, from St. Paul's, had offers from Mississippi, Florida State, Kansas, Memphis, and Tennessee, amongst others. That was the prize, I would say, out of that Alabama State recruiting class old corn state had out of its entire recruiting class just two high school players seven defensive linemen out of that class so fred mcnair and company really put a focus on that defensive line uh you look at arian allen's a transfer quarterback from louisiana tech that's who they're going to rely on uh, who's going to replace a guy, if you will, if you can replace a guy like a Felix Harper, who was really, really good uh, for the Braves for a couple of years. Running back, Jarvian Howard is a transfer from Syracuse. Played 29 games for Syracuse, uh, and he's going to be one of the keys, obviously, right away for Alcorn State. And again, Alcorn State, when you look at running backs, over the last five or six years, Alcorn State's had a plethora of really good running backs to play for the Braves. Doc Gamble in Arkansas Pine Bluff. A uh, couple of guys. Uh, one of the guys uh, that they signed, a JUCO quarterback, Makai Hackens from Cisco. It's a guy that could come in and, 
in play right away. Also looking at that defensive secondary sign, three defensive backs. And that was a concern for the Golden Lions on last year. Played the last three games without a starting defensive back. So you can see why Arkansas Pine Bluff placed that emphasis there. Bethune-Cookman, Terry Sims and his staff signed 26 guys, 10 from the state of Florida, which is down, right? Because generally you look at a class, if, if in past years, if I looked at a class from Bethune-Cookman, 20 of, 18 to 20 of those guys would have been from Florida with probably from the Daytona area, Volusia County, probably like five or six of those guys right there in that Daytona Beach area, 14 of those guys were high school kids. So, again, looking to the future but trying to win right now in a fair balance of both. I'm going to tell you what I like. I like a transfer kid. I'm going to give you a name and tell me if you can remember this, if you've heard this name right off the bat. Jalen Jones signs with Bethune-Cookman. Now, where did you hear Jalen Jones from? He's a transfer uh, from Mississippi Delta Community College. Guess what? This is the same Jones that played at Jackson State in the spring that was really, really good. He had a really, really good spring. Uh, really was one of the catalysts for why Jackson State had a successful 2021 spring. You know he's got October 15th circled on his calendar when Jackson State comes to Bethune-Cookman. Would have been nice if Bethune-Cookman could have gone to Jackson State. Another guy running back, Brandon McDonald's a running back. Um, from uh, Feltram Prep Academy. He's from Dayton, Ohio. He's a guy that may could come in and help the Bethune-Cookman Wildcats immediately. Rod Milstead and Delaware State had six signees. Uh, but again, they have a good foundation. That's what Delaware State has, a good foundation. Three of those guys were transfer guys. That defensive front is going to be excellent. I like the quarterback play. I think Delaware State, all they needed was six guys. The Hornets, all they needed was six guys. That's going to be a good um, – it's all you need. You don't need any more than what you need. And I think Delaware State, with those six guys, going to come in and, and give them uh, some depth, maybe some guys that can play right away. But they're solid as it is. Florida A&M, Willie Simmons, and his staff signed 18 guys. Five of those guys were offensive linemen. The Rattlers lost six offensive linemen, right? So they're going to have to rely on some guys uh, that played – uh, a little bit last year, signing five offensive linemen. Uh, you look, if I look at uh, now, the quarterback play was good, okay, was solid. But they're bringing in a guy, Jeremy Musa, is a transfer from Vanderbilt. They really, really like him. They want to see, obviously, what he can do once spring comes around and, and so forth. But, I mean, in terms of what they've seen in reps, really like this kid. Uh, defensive back T.J. Dumas is a two-star guy uh, uh, who had offers from Cincinnati and USF. Running back Destin Coates played four years at Georgia State. It's a guy that can come in and help you right away. Was was a all um, uh, was a uh, was a all Sun Belt excuse me uh, third team performer last year. Just five high school players and also a couple of transfers from Iowa State. Grambling. Head coach Hugh Jackson's first recruiting class, 36 players signed to the recruiting class. Two three-star running backs, including Chance Williams from Scotland, Magnet High School in Baton Rouge, and Floyd Chalk IV from Bishop uh, Alamany in 
Mission Hills, California, right? So uh, he's starting out a couple of nice running backs that are high school kids. Two three-star wide receivers, Faison Wilson from Lancaster High School in Texas and Tyrese Johnson from Booker T. Washington in New Orleans, right? So again, laying the foundation with high school kids. Three quarterbacks, including Julian Kalins, a two-star kid from Jones in Orlando, uh, Quantarius Hawkins, a JUCO transfer from Jones College, and Keija Holloway, excuse me if I'm mispronouncing his name, but he's a transfer from UCLA, didn't see any time at UCLA, uh, a former four-star recruit from Hermit in California. So guess what? You've got that guy for five, four or five years, uh, four years, and, uh, you know, a former four-star recruit. So they're, they're looking to get some things done certainly right away. Taking a look at Hampton, Robert Prunty and his staff um, really got it done in the early signing period. You look at two guys. I look at two guys in this class, wide receiver, Kamari Gray from Phoebus. Now, Phoebus is like a three-minute drive from Hampton, stays in his backyard. They're calling him a dynamic wide receiver, could come in and have an immediate impact. The other guy I'm looking at, the former Norfolk State running back, Kevin Johnson, transfers in to Hampton. Now, I would imagine they probably would use him. They're listing him as an athlete. So to me, that may I mean, he could switch to wide receiver, could be more of a threat out of the backfield. You know what that young man can do from the running back position. He's really, really good. Howard, 11 players signed for Larry Scott. Uh, I look at this class, running back Eden Jones from Treasure Coast in Florida. He's a three-star kid, had offers from Miami and Indiana. You look at the other guy, offensive tackle Noah Miles from Jefferson in Tampa. Going to pause right there. Going to come back. Going to take a look at the rest of the FCS HBCU recruiting class as Box to Row rolls on. Find the Box to Row YouTube page for conversations with stars like Omari Hardwick, Brandy, Michael Strahan, and with some of our favorite sports guests over the years. Box to Row. Box to Row. Box to Row. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way. Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whip Beer. The neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Served in total wine all over North Carolina. Fresh Market in North Carolina and Virginia. Weaver Street Market in Raleigh, Durham, Carborough, and Hillsboro. You can also purchase in Durham at Zwelly's, Saltbox, Sam's Bottle Shop, and Bull McCabe's. And in Greensboro at Elm Street Lounge and Cooper's Ale House. It's Donald Ware, from the press box to press row. Picking back up with recruiting, let's look at Jackson State and what more can be said. 15 players signed, just two high school players. But the two high school players that were signed were a five-star kid in defensive back, Travis Hunter. You know, that got a lot of play when that happened. 
back in December, and wide receiver Kevin Coleman, a four-star recruit from St. Mary's High School in St. Louis. Jackson State, Deion Sanders, and coaching staff signed five offensive linemen. Jackson State found it very hard to run the football on last year. Taking a look at Mississippi Valley State, I really like this Mississippi Valley State class. 28 recruits, seven high school kids, the top junior college quarterback in the country in Jamari Jones, brought in four JUCO wide receivers and a tight end in Narika's Driver Jr. Uh, he's actually a tight end out of Southern Miss and then had a three-star running back in Ghana Oboe uh, out of Miami Central. I really like this class. I like what Vincent Dancy and his his uh, staff is doing. Finished the season strong uh, last year and I think a solid recruiting class. Morgan State, Tyrone Wheatley and his staff signed 23 players, six from the state of Maryland and one from D.C. So in that area, you're talking about seven players signed, two quarterbacks. Quarterback play was an issue last year for the Bears. Jaden Green from San Diego. And Roderick R.J. Walker from Independence Community College. Looking at Norfolk State, so Dawson Odoms and his staff signing 20 players for his first class at Norfolk State, 10 from the state of Virginia, but only three from the Tidewater area. When you were talking about Norfolk State recruiting, I mean, at least half, eh, maybe 40% of the guys, maybe 35 to 40 were Tidewater guys. Again, Dawson Odom's getting in there, but he's got a he's got a solid class. Offensive lineman Jeremiah Bowling for Roar is a big kid, 6'7", 300 pounds. He's got running back uh Kevon King from Oscar Smith in Chesapeake, who who led his team to back to back six A state championships. Uh he's a guy again from right there in the Tidewater area. The quarterback, I mean, when you had a quarterback, an elite quarterback such as Norfolk State have had coming in with Otto Coons, transfer from Eastern Illinois, who has 13 games under his belt, had 10 starts uh, in two seasons. So you bring in an experienced quarterback. Um, oh, okay, taking a look at A&T. 14 players signed, eight from North Carolina, four from Virginia. Just two of those guys transferred, were transfers, one never played. So again, laying the foundation uh, is what, uh, Sam Washington and his staff continues to do. Signed six defensive linemen and three defensive backs. You look at a defensive lineman, Chris Allens, a three-star kid from Wake Forest, which is right here in this area of Raleigh. Now, signed another three-star quarterback in Eli Brickhandler out of Chapel Hill, which is which is fine. Quarterback play was an issue for A&T last year. I think Jalen Fowler, who was the incumbent guy, is going to come and battle I think, for his job. And, and we'll see ultimately uh, what happens there. Uh, again, but I think the prize of this class is Karan Prunty's a transfer from Kansas. He's a defensive back where he was a freshman All-American, transferred to South Carolina after Kansas, left there for personal reasons, was slated to start for the Gamecocks. And that is a huge pickup, I think, for uh, A&T, a couple of other three-star recruits as well. North Carolina Central signed 17 players. The prize possession was South Carolina transfer Otre Smith. 
played in 19 games over five seasons. So he's an older guy. He's a big kid at 6'4", 222 wide receiver. Could have come in and helped head coach Trey Oliver and the Eagles right away. Prairie View A&M first recruiting class for new head coach Bubba McDowell. 13 players signed to the class. Three wide receivers as part of the class. One quarterback, C.J. Dumas from Shadow Creek in Perland, Texas. South Carolina State really liked South Carolina State's class. 20 of the 26 recruits from right in the state, mostly high school kids. Three-star quarterback, Zan Dunham, over 6,000 yards, 62 career touchdowns. He's going to be able to come in and learn uh, a little bit behind Corey Fields. Um, and it's just, just a good, a really good class. Another three-star quarterback in Prometheus Franklin. Really like South Carolina State's class, Buddy, Q, Buddy Pugh and company getting it done. Southern, 26 players, Eric Dooley in his first season. He comes over from Prairie View A&M, signed six defensive linemen and signed six wide receivers. You know he's going to look to throw the ball all over the place. That's what Eric Dooley does wherever he goes. Tennessee State, 12 signees for Eddie George in his first recruiting class, added just one on Wednesday, Grambling State offensive lineman Rod Green. Texas Southern had 14 signees for Clarence McKinney. Nine of those players were from the state of Texas. I will rank the recruiting classes at a later date. I can just tell you, you know, off the top. I mean, obviously, Jackson State, you got a five-star and a four-star recruit that are high school kids. That's huge. But as I mentioned, I mean, I like Valley's recruiting class. I like A&T's recruiting class. I like South Carolina State's recruiting class. I mean, that's just off uh, off the top of my head. Uh, but again, recruiting a lot different now. You look across the board, most schools have at least at least six FBS transfers, which is very, very unusual when you're talking about HBCUs at the Division I level and recruiting. So those are my thoughts on recruiting. Your thoughts. The recruiting landscape has changed specifically in HBCU football. Your thoughts. Hit me up via Twitter at Box2Row, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W. Let's switch gears. I want to talk about the big game here on the program. And listen, I look at the Bengals. Right. And Joe Burrow, I've been saying this for yeah, man, everybody's been saying it. But I mean, it's just something about this guy is phenomenal. Now, remember, he got hurt and it was what in November of last year when we when he tore his ACL and was able to come back, and did some really good things. And the Bengals are extremely hot. You look at this team. I mean, it all begins with Joe Burrow. I really like the running game in Joe Mixon. I think Joe Mixon is absolutely phenomenal and one that we don't talk about enough you look at Jamar Chase Tyler Boyd T Higgins those guys can absolutely play the question mark the question mark for the Bengals is the offensive line and the other question becomes this would the extra week or will I should say the extra week of preparation 
for the Bengals going up against a really good defensive line led by Aaron Donald, who was basically unblockable, okay, is it enough? Like, you got to double-team Donald. Like, you, I mean, if anybody you have to double-team, you have to double-team Aaron Donald. Now, you know, but that's still going to give an opportunity for some, you know, the ends, Miller, right, et cetera, to kind of come in and be able to make some plays. But I think if you can chip, you know, if you can get some help in chipping one of the ends with a running back with a Joe Mixon, you know, from time to time, then you've got three receivers that are legit. And while Jalen Ramsey is legit, a lockdown corner, no doubt about it, there can be some opportunities to succeed against this Rams defense. I mean, the defense is very stout. The linebackers, I mean, the secondary is is solid. Like, it's not great, but it's solid. But there's some opportunities there, I think, for the Bengals. When I look on the other side of things, I look at the Rams offense, you know, Matthew Stafford, like even, even in the game against the 49ers, like if he threw it right to the defensive back when the 49ers, I think, had the 10-point lead. If you make that play, I don't think the Rams win that football game, right? So I, I'm not as great a pass as we saw the week before the NFC Championship game uh, that uh, ultimately that Matthew Stafford made to Cooper Cup against the Buccaneers, as great a pass as that was. Conversely, a bad pass, which just happened not to be intercepted. I can't, I, I don't trust him, but he's got a good running game. He's got OBJ, he's got Cooper Cup. I mean, Cooper Cup has just been absolutely phenomenal. You've got Jefferson, so they've got some weapons. And again, to me, the Bengals' defense isn't great it's not like it has a bunch of real big name guys but it's been solid enough especially when it's needed to be solid and that's all you can really really ask for you know what I mean so you know with that I I, I just I think you've got I think where things are gonna because I, I think I think the Rams are definitely gonna have some success been able to put some pressure on Joe Burrow. Some success, but Joe Burrow's definitely going to make some plays. I think what it's going to come down to uh, for me is the experience. I think when you look at the Rams, the Rams have experience. Uh, yeah, Matthew Stafford's never played in a Super Bowl, but you've got a lot of those holdovers um, from the Rams going to the Super Bowl back several years ago. You've also got a, a situation where you've got Von Miller, who's a Super Bowl champion. Uh, also, and he can bring, you know, and, and again, Aaron Donald's been there before. So I think that's what ultimately is going to win out. And that's why I'm going to go, oh, I'm going to go with the Rams over the Bengals in the big game. I got to get ready to run here on Box to Row. Want to thank Brandon Parker for joining us on today's program. Listen, want to tell you about our new project, Radio Boss. So all of the great conversations we've had over the years on this show, all of those conversations or a good bit of those conversations are now on our website at radio-boss.com. Radio-boss.com. Radio Boss is a project of Box to Row. Support it. Check it out. Again, radio-boss.com. Also, don't forget to follow us 
Box to Row on YouTube. And always remember to support those that support you. Box to Row is produced by DW Communications.